Welcome to the Alporn Podcast. On this episode, Sean and I are going to do a little recap of our experience in Switzerland. And I definitely want to get Sean's take on how he thought everything went, especially since it was his first visit. So he got to experience everything through a fresh set of eyes, unlike myself. So it'll be fun like that. Uh, but Sean, how are you doing today? Hey, Robert, good. I'm excited that we're doing this recording. It's been some time with everything that's been going on over the last six months. Uh, we have had a gap in between the, the last time we talked, and uh, I'm excited that we're having this discussion and we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I loved being in Nanda. I've heard all the stories and it had read this folklore myth and the lore of going to Nanda, but being there in person and competing was just uh, remarkable. And I mean, there's something about being there on the mountain with that tradition and being immersed in the, in the entire culture. It's just, it's indescribable. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely a fun one. I need to get to where I can go participate in some of the Yodel Fest events that kind of that tradition was established a little earlier than Nanda was. But I need to talk to uh, there's a couple of people that have been uh, coming to the events um, that we've been hosting this year and working at who have gone through the process and worked out ways that as an American still be able to participate in some of the other Yodel Fest things. So I, I'm kind of interested in getting into that so that I can get a broader scope of kind of what all the events are. Absolutely. Tell me again, you went to Nanda for the first time when, what year was that? I believe it was 2006. Okay, so not quite 20 um, years ago. How, how uh, was it? Very nearly. You And you were, I mean, you were young when you went and you had this amazing experience and ended up getting on the podium that year. Kind of, well, yeah, so I, I never have been on the podium myself. I've had uh, some top 10 finishes. The first year I went kind of was, that was the notable one just because it was the first time that any Americans had gone. So anyone that wasn't from really western europe so there was kind of you know there was some excitement and uh a little bit of a not like a media circus by any means but there was a lot of excitement about the fact that there were some people that were coming from a long distance which i think really kind of helps cement that that was a, an international event and since then you know it's kind of i think us going that first time and then now have gone several times since then has helped kind of cement and grow the international reputation of that festival. Absolutely. Just because now they've had people from Japan that have attended. And I, I think there was a lot of people from Japan that wanted to participate, but just because of ongoing changing regulations around COVID and travel and all this stuff that is going on around that still, you know, people from Japan weren't able to attend this year just because it's so hard yeah. traveling out of there. But so it was, it was exciting because I think we helped kind of establish that as a truly international event, not just people from neighboring countries of Switzerland, which is still, you know, significant in and of its own right. But, you know, getting people that travel from farther distances certainly helps any event, much like we enjoy having people come from Europe. Hopefully, eventually we can get it built up to where some uh, Alporn players from Europe want to come attend some of the events that are happening here in the United States and 
but certainly bringing instructors over. And then it's nice that we have people traveling from so far to come to our events, just being here in North America. Cause you know, travel here is kind of a pretty good undertaking. If someone wants to come from Florida or Calgary or wherever, you know, that's, you got to travel some good distances to find those. So I understand from that aspect where us traveling internationally to come and from like having to do a transoceanic flight to attend, it's kind of a big deal. And then that's, that was that first year that I ended up just by the fact that I, I was first between me, myself, me, uh, dad and Brian being the first American that ever participated in that. That was kind of a, just a, a luck of the draw, which if you go back and listen to some other episodes, I, I'm pretty sure there wasn't that much luck involved in that, but <laughs> Here's what I thought was incredible. I mean, in addition to just being in the mountains, which is, I, I bet I've made a hundred trips or more to Switzerland over the last 30 years. There was a time when I was going to, to Switzerland, you know, five or six times every year. And, uh, but being down in that part of the country on the, in the French section, and which I had not spent any time there in my skiing or business or anything uh, to be there on those mountains was just, it just contributed to what I've heard Bill Hobson and Brian and, and a lot of our Alphorn family talk about over the years. And, and I, I finally get it. it. You have to go there to experience it and eat raclette and eat fondue every night. And I did the whole Rondevash tour with my kids and I uh, get it. It's like finally connecting some of those dots. The morning of the competition, and I think I've mentioned this previously, in working with Dr. Natalie Grana over the last few years, one of the things that she said was, she said, I'd really like for you to perform. And I'd, I think that Nanda, with your history and and everything would be great. Why don't you put this together and and perform and compete in Nanda? And I just said, I, I said, Natalie, I don't think I can do this. And she really has encouraged me over the last uh, almost a year now to put this together. So Jake Martin, who produces our podcast every month, he wrote this, he's an incredible composer and he wrote this great piece, which I really, it sounds to me like, like a Hans Jörg Summer piece. If somebody had told me Hans Jörg had written this piece, I would have said, absolutely. It was amazing. And so Natalie and I have been working on this for several months now. And to go there and, and perform and, and get to meet a lot of the people that we've had on our previous podcast episodes was just was so special. And then, you know this, uh, I had the opportunity to, in the schedule, Miriam Petit, who won the overall and the solo and ensemble. She was so great, so kind and came up and gave me a hug and you know, in her broken English said, you know, nice work. And then she goes out and does this incredible performance and ends up winning. And it was just, it was fun to see that and be there. And it was really special. So I, and I appreciate you and, and your dad, Tony, 
in helping me get there as, as well. I, I appreciate uh, your encouragement and Tony over the last year. And yeah, go and do that. Experience it. You need to see it. And I'm so glad I did. I loved it. Yeah. And preparing for something like that uh, is actually a really good way to keep yourself motivated to practice. Like it's especially, you know, I think a lot of people who play the Alphorn have, you know, it's, it's difficult to stay motivated. You know, it's, they don't have the same motivation that I do where it's okay. I need to be in shape so that when I go to Oktoberfest season, even if I'm admittedly not the best at maintaining a practice schedule or anything, but I do have to constantly still be thinking about it. And when I'm out on the trail performing, you know, it is, is part of that where I'm continually, okay, I need to stay in shape and be able to do this so that when I go out and perform, um, I think a competition is really, is a really good outlet for those of us who are in the Alporn community that don't necessarily go out and perform professionally to give you that kind of end goal of this is what we're practicing for. This is when, like, this is the date and time that I need to be ready to go to have this in as good of a place as I can to present this piece. Well, and I think you're exactly right. It's like, it's like athletes. I, I mean, I, I know you can't believe this, but at one point I was a fairly competitive marathon runner and, uh, and I did, I've competed in over 30 Ironman uh, triathlons and I, have those skills and my fitness is have lapsed. I, I think primarily because I stopped competing. And so I really identify with that as a former athlete and that you are easily motivated when you're thinking I've, I've got to com- compete. I've, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to show up for a marathon and not be well-trained. And so that's a great point. Robert, I just, I think that there was a lot I learned and, uh, I, I mean, maybe talk about the criteria for the evaluation and, and competing. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot to it, including you must have your piece completely memorized. I mean, t- talk about some of the other criteria that is used in the evaluation of these competitors. Yeah. So I don't, like I said, I don't have a real frame of reference on how this compares to the Yodel Fest events, but at least in regards to the Nanda event, the list of requirements isn't particularly long, but they are pretty strict on what these rules are, which is reasonable. You know, it's like, Hey, we don't have a lot of rules, but you have to follow these rules. Um, But it's so for the for the competition, um, you do have to have your piece completely memorized. Um, and even though the judges, um, it's a completely blind judging. So even though the judges can't see you, there are other organizers from the event that are there to make sure that everyone's adhering to the policies. So you have to have your piece completely memorized. There are time requirements for the pieces. If you're doing an Alporn piece, it needs to be between two and a half minutes, two minutes, 30 seconds, and four minutes long two minutes and 20 seconds, I believe, officially. And then for a buccal piece, it needs to be either, I think it's a minute and 40 seconds to four minutes long. So there's a minimum time requirement as well as a maximum time requirement. If you play under or over that time, then you will be disqualified. 
as far as kind of the other regulations go, you do have to be playing on a wooden horn and then it has to also be with a wooden mouthpiece, which that one, the judges would be able to pick up. But before you even get to the point where the judges would hear, like if you don't have either of those, the organizers will pull you and say like, this doesn't work. Um, One of the things I was confused too was I had heard from several people that you had to play in the key of F sharp if you were playing Alphorn. Is that is that the case or was that is that a myth? That is the case for the big for the large group performance on Sunday. But the individual performances not in F sharp. I've never seen anyone play an Alphorn piece in a key other than F sharp. Yeah, but they're in the rules. There is nothing that says you have to be in F sharp versus F or G being the other kind of two common ones. So there's nothing in the rules that says that you have to play an F sharp for the competition for the large group concert on Sunday. Everyone has to be an F sharp, which that just makes sense because a big group's already hard enough to keep on track, <laughs> let alone let's try to throw some multiphonics in here. Um, I love that. And I know it was not the largest group that they've ever had, but I think that they had about 150. Thereabouts. I think this festival has had 170 before. Um, And like I said, this year, there were still some travel restrictions from different parts of the world. Yes. So, you know, travel is getting easier, but there's still some hoops you got to jump through and everything as well as, you know, the, you know, fuel prices alone have made travel pretty difficult for a lot of people. So uh, that's part of it. Um, the, the one other rule that they really have is, so there, I guess the couples, you do have to be in traditional dress for the competition as well as the large group performance on Sunday. And then there is a directly stated rule for the competition that if you are playing in a group, all of the horns must be in the same key. Okay. For for the competition, at least, you know, it's if people are going to go and play somewhere else, then you can do whatever it is that you want to do in terms of playing and doing stuff with multiphonics and instruments and multiple keys. And there's some fun things that you can do there, which is always worth exploring from a musical standpoint and just expanding your mind as to what is possible. Yes. What were some of the other technical criteria that competitors were judged on i know that one was sound quality do you you remember the rest of them yeah i and i could actually um i can pull it up here in a second to get the official statement no it's it's fine i just uh i mean there there's a lot to it there was a lot of criteria when i saw that i was just shocked at how How detailed, I mean, I, I don't know why I should be. I work, I've worked with the Swiss for so long and uh, not nothing surprises me in the detail and uh, of the, the Swiss, but. Yeah, so the, the judging criteria, and yeah, it's, you know, if you spend enough time with anyone who's from an Alpine region, other than maybe the Italians, they seem to be pretty, pretty fast and loose with their their policies, at least socially in a lot of places. And the French can be a little more relaxed as well, but certainly the Swiss and the Germans and the Austrians have a reputation. And I think it's earned, and this isn't in any way a slight or a bad thing, but it is a kind of a quirk of those cultures in that they're pretty 
straight up and down about this is what we do, this is how we do it, and this is how we do it. Right. <laughs> and that's that's just part of it. Like that's part of their culture, and that's why their trains run on time, unlike most other places in the world, save for Absolutely. Japan. And their work is amazing. I mean, this is what I admire about working with the Swiss and the Germans and Yeah, and they're punctual and fastidious and in Don't many, many it. ways, like it's very beneficial for just about anything you can need. Like Don't deviate. So you you think about getting whatever it was, 150 Alphorn artists together for this. It that's unique. <laughs> So I did pull this up. In addition to the minimum mandatory requirements that you mentioned, that you had to be on a wood alphorn, that you had to, all wood, you could not, you cannot use a carbon or PVC or any of those. And that includes your mouthpiece. That yes. You have to be in traditional dress. You have to, I mean, some, some of, of the other min, minimum mandatory requirements. What the criteria for how each competitor was judged included sound quality, blowing technique, precision, mobility, intonation, dynamics, phrasing, articulation, metric, time, rhythm, and musical expression. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is, if you spend any time um, with, you know, just musical competitions or festivals anywhere, this is, it's the same criteria that you'll be judged on um, at any of these. Okay, so it's um, similar if you're doing a brass competition, these are the Yeah, anything. Got it. Um, so it's, you know, it's the same thing for, you know, anyone who's been, uh, you know, in a high school band. When you go to your festivals or, you know, like myself, I did the uh, state, the regional and the state solo ensemble festival. And you get a judge, you know, you get judged based on all of these same criteria. It's, I think, less written in the rules, but there's definitely a lot of emphasis placed on song choice and making sure that you're within the Swiss tradition, which I have some thoughts on this where not to uh not to rustle too many feathers on this but i i do think that the nanda competition in my own and i will preface this this is my own anecdotal observation but from when i started going to what i witnessed this year as far as what seemed to be the expectation for song selection it seems like this particular festival has taken a lot of steps towards being more specifically Swiss traditional, which if we go back and listen to Bill Hobson, or if you hear any of his talks, I have become more in line with Bill's thinking on this in that what is considered to be the Swiss tradition, or is at least what is thought to mostly be the Swiss tradition, I think is kind of a departure from where the instrument started. And I agree. I think you look at some of this old music and it is very progressive in rhythm, in high-low notes. It, you know, you and I talked about this on a previous episode that we've pulled some of those traditional pieces that came out of the abbeys that the monks had preserved. And they look and sound and feel not like traditional, like the traditional long tone 
pieces that are often associated with the Alphorn. And these pieces are 500 years old. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, I'm taking a little bit of umbrage towards how this year was adjudicated, not in that any of the stances of what they want from the pieces is incorrect in any way, even though, you know, it's, I don't know that I agree with their definition of tradition. I think they're basing a lot of this on tradition and kind of musical rules that were established, you know, between 60 and 100 years ago, whereas we have a lot of literature and a lot of music and a tradition for this instrument that dates back five, 600 years. So it's, you know, and it feels like, I don't know, I think that specifically where Dr. Grana was adjudicated and to a lesser extent myself, I thought that our performances should have scored higher. Not to say that we should have won or been anywhere, but I think we should have at least been close to being on the podium. Like, I I thought that that was one of the best performances of my life. And And let let me just, let me, I listened to every one of the uh, performances with the exception of the uh, junior competitors, which I, actually, I regret that I didn't do that. But every, I listened to all the other competitions and I loved I mean number one this is I know this is subjective but I've never heard Tony play better than he did in his solo piece I loved it I loved listening to him play it was amazing I thought your piece your solo piece Robert was fantastic as well i i just I'm, was in love with that and then hearing you and your dad play the bucal duet which i love i love that piece i love hearing the two of you play that together it was just i mean one of the highlights of the the trip was listening to you know i get i get to spend time with you and tony and Dr. Grana a lot and hear you guys perform, but to be there and hear you at that level was amazing. And those pieces were incredible. The piece that Bill Rose wrote for Natalie was amazing. And I think his short time that he's gotten to know her, he knew that she could do some of the, the technical elements of this piece, the high and low and the mobility and range that he wrote in there and poor natalie was so sick that morning (laughs) oh my goodness we didn't think she was going to compete i mean she was so sick she couldn't get out of bed and she goes there and the way she just gutted that out amazing really just dug deep and then the way she performed was oh wow like i thought you know, some of us, and it's like, you know, I, I'm so happy that Dr. Peggy Demers was able to get onto the podium. I was getting to Peggy. I loved it and too. Like, I mean, her piece that. was incredible. It's, you know, I, from what I consider to be a pretty educated viewpoint on this. Oh my goodness. I do believe that certainly Dr. Grana's performance should have been adjudicated much more favorably than it was and it's you know it's one of those like part of the deal is like with this competition you don't get 
I mean, you get, you get a score and you know what the criteria are, but you don't get anything beyond that in terms of a review from the adjudicators, which is fine. Like that's what the festival is. That's what it's always been. Rules, right. So that's fine. But it's, you know, I thought with the quality that some of the players came with, it would have been nice. And, you know, it's if I could ever get in contact with some of the judges or some of the organizers and get a better explanation of what the expectation really is. Exactly. That would be really nice for me professionally, just as well as personally, because it's, you know, I do want to go over and if we could have better clarification on what the expectations are, then I think you could get to a point where it's like all of us musicians that are coming, we're capable of playing as well as anyone else that, you know, it's, you know, we're not coming from a standpoint of like, you know, and this could be just myself talking, but it's like, I think my performance from a point of musicality was on par with just about anyone else that played. I mean, certainly the winners, everyone who played on Sunday was incredible and like certainly deserved their wins. And I'm not at all trying to discount their playing or their song selection. Like they knocked it out of the park. I just think that it would be nice to have better clarification on what the expectation really is. Absolutely. So that I can be better prepared to come in and show that I am not every day. I don't think I'm one of the best players in the world, but I think I personally am good enough that on my best day, I'm in, I'm certainly in that conversation. Absolutely. It was, it was amazing. And I, and so Let's talk about uh, Bill Rose and uh, Dr. Demers. I, I mean, they, I've heard them now play several times and they both were incredible with Dr. Demers receiving a, an award for second place, which was, it, it, it was, her performance was incredible. It really was amazing. But you look at the Americans that <laughs> perform. <laughs> Performed there, you and Tony and Dr. Demers and Dr. Grana and Bill Rose and myself. And was there, I think, was there another? There, there were uh, some more players. From, there, there were a few oh, more players the, that came from the, uh, from the Midwest Alpine. That's right. Retreat. Yeah, they, they played an ensemble together, which was really, fan- that piece was fantastic. Just, it, it was incredible being there and and hearing such amazing artists and many of whom have been on this uh, po- this podcast and and we've had these conversations with them i thought you know listening to michelle fellman <laughs> wow that was fantastic and just such a treat and and miriam petit uh, i mean just there was it was incredible getting to hear her perform. Annette Cox and the Alpine sisters were incredible. Yeah, it was so nice getting to spend. um, It it was uh, actually Saturday evening. uh, Dad and I uh, actually had the opportunity and went and got dinner with Annette after we kind of wrapped up with the day. So it was nice to get to spend some time and get to actually just talk and you know talk about some plans and you know we're certainly going to work on getting uh, Annette as well as the rest of the Alpine sisters over here to 
help out with instruction at some of our future events, as well as try to get some performances scheduled so that, you know, we can introduce some American communities to their playing and what they're doing as a group and kind of expand beyond just what Salzburg or Echo's doing, what some of the other groups that are performing around are. And it was, you know, it's one of those, it's setting aside some of my frustrations about a couple of the things about how the festivals run. And again, this is not, you know, none of that is to say that there's, that it's a bad festival. It's super fun. It's great. It's a great chance to go hear other incredible musicians. But beyond that, like the more important part of it is getting to go network and talk to these players that, you know, we can chat on Facebook once in a while and, you know, we get a chance to play some of their music, but it's nice to get to hear them play their music and really just get to spend some time and talk to builders, talk to other musicians and just learn what they're doing and just be, you know, friends with them too. Like that's kind of, you know, more importantly is we get to go see old friends and make new friends and network. And all of that is the kind of the more important part about the festival than where anyone ranks at the end of the day. Absolutely. Well, and then Yui Beck, who is one of Annette's uh, fine sisters, I mean, she, she placed and her performances were just fantastic. I did, it was one of the best Alphorn experiences of my life and being there with you and Tony and uh, Bill Rose and Peggy and Dr. Grana, who, even though she was sick, it was, I just, it was such a, an incredible experience to hear her perform and she was amazing. I, I loved it. It was incredible. Anything else about uh, the festival or, or competition? I'd like to talk about your time with some of the makers while you were there. Yeah. I I mean, it's, you know, just like that closing statement that I have about the festival itself is that, like I said, I would like to, if at all possible, get in contact with the adjudicators as well as the organizers and just get a better example of what the expectations are. Like, you know, it's just one of those, it's, you know, I think if we could get a better understanding of what that is, then we could show that what we're doing here in North America is as high a quality as what's going on in Europe. And that's not to say that we're competing or to try to be better or change the the conversation of what's going on with the Alporn, but just to show that we're here and we want to be participating in this at the same level that everyone else is. And we have the quality of players. I mean, it's, you know, we're talking. Professional musicians that have recorded (laughs) multiple albums. I mean, it is, you're right. The quality is incredible. And, and, you know, it's, you know, we're talking, we have, you know, Dr. Demers and Bill Rose and Dr. Grana are, you know, they've been teaching at the university level for decades you know save for natalie but natalie's worked all over the world she's played in groups all over the world and you know it's i know i'm not going to get it but it would be nice to get some understanding about why the piece that she played wasn't considered traditional mine i'm i understand the piece that i wrote i thought i was going to get some more recognition for technicality because i specifically wrote that piece to be more difficult than the piece that i had performed the previous time that I was in Switzerland, which I thought I played it as well, but I brought a harder piece with the aspirations of being on the podium and, you know, even hopefully playing on Sunday and then thought that I had done everything in my control 
to put myself in that position. And then where I ended up being adjudicated was 11th place. So it's, I finished worse than the previous time that I was there, but I wrote a piece specifically and, and because like I, I want to be on the podium. I mean, oh, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about, so for listeners that are not familiar with the process, we, t- we talked about the, ju- the judging criteria, but you are playing at elevation you're at about 10,000 feet or th- you know 3,000 meters and you're looking across the Valet uh, Valley over to the other side it is an amazing place but it is away from the festival you're in you're in this place performing up on the mountains in a open meadow it's in the ski resort but you're on this open meadow looking across at these amazing mountains yeah you've got sion below you the roan is silently snaking through the valley floor like you can't get a better viewpoint no it it is and somewhat overwhelmed just the vastness of this venue is incredible we'll put some some of these photos linked to some of these photos on uh, the episode notes. But so that that's what it looks like. You're away from the festival itself in this competition venue. There's at any one time, there's probably 50 to 100 spectators watching, but your judges are behind a tent. <laughs> so you never yeah. see them. They never see you. They ring the cowbell when they're ready for you to start. You then have five notes, is it? Is, you yeah, it says notes? up to five or six notes um, just to kind of get yourself centered, which for anyone who's interested in participating, I actually highly recommend that you do that. Oh, my goodness. And and the reason I highly recommend it is that it gives you a chance just to you get your baseline and then you get those first couple notes, you get those first five notes. And then like, if you crack one of them and like your mouth dries out or something, it gives you a chance. It's like, okay, I need to reset. And it really helps to kind of, you know, you treat it the same way that someone would treat, you know, a basketball player. Every time they go up to shoot a free throw, they have their little ritual. And it's, you know, from a point of performing, especially in a competition setting where it's, you know, I think it's a little bit more, at least mentally, not in any real practical way, but from kind of a psychological standpoint, the stakes are a little higher because it's like, okay, now every note that I'm about to play is going to be judged. Every single thing I do. And when you're out there, it's like, I want to do this to the best of my ability to show what I'm capable of. Having that little ritual of it's like, okay, I know I'm going to get five to six notes. I usually do four. I usually do an arpeggio up over an octave, just, but it just gives you a chance to kind of center. And then you build in your ritual of like, okay, before I play, I'm going to play these five notes. And then I get to like pull the horn off my face for a second, take a nice deep breath, center myself, and just kind of like let all the other stuff get out of your head. And then you can kind of go in and play. So for anyone who's interested, I highly recommend that. But yeah, so they they ring the cowbell to let you know that the judges are like finished with their rating for the previous player, the previous group. And, and you're just you just standing out there notes. in the field by yourself. 
in front of the spectators. You're in front of the spectators. The mountain, the valley, and the big mountains are behind you on this meadow. And you never see the judges. They never see you. It's uh, intense. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's when you go out and perform for a crowd, a lot of us, you know, professionals, a lot of it is you're feeding off of the audience. Right. <laughs> so it's when you're playing, you know, you, you see what their facial expressions are, what, what they're feeling, how their body language is. Yep. And I always try to, I acknowledge that the judges are there. But for me, I try to just focus on, okay, the judges are there. I know that they're over there. They're doing their thing. They're paying attention with like a hawk's eye view of everything that they're hearing, which not the best way to explain it, but, but I try to just say like, okay, I'm going to come out and I'm playing for the audience, which in and of itself is like there, it's still not that much easier because all of the people you're playing for are other world-class musicians. Like it's, you know, you're the people that are there. And what's nice about playing for them, even though you are kind of putting yourself in that mind frame is like, Oh, that guy's really good. Oh, she's amazing. Like you're like, and that's half the audience are other professional musicians. Amazing. But what's really nice is even though you are comparing yourself to them while you're playing, you still get to keep in the back of your mind that all of the participants are there because they want everyone else to be successful. So it's, yes, it is like a little nerve wracking, but at the same time, we're all there supporting each other. Like it's, you want to congratulate your friends, people you've worked with or seen year after year. So. Oh, and I, and let me say that it could not have been a more inclusive really a collegial environment there where I could tell it was a reunion for you and and your dad and uh, where you're seeing a lot of old friends. For me, I would just felt so enveloped in the in the whole Alphorn family, this international family now. I mean, we've I feel like I, I was adopted into the North American family some time ago, but to be there and and have you know Michelle Feldman, you know, give me a hug and uh, and uh, Miriam and you know some of the Natalia, Natalia, Patricia, Yuri, and and the Alp, Alpine sisters. I mean, it was it was fantastic being there. I just loved it. Yeah, and that resonates kind of the world over. Is the Alport is too niche for us to get real clicky? Like it. it you know, inevitably everyone wants their little group to be the most successful, but no one is wishing that other groups aren't successful. And shout out to the Midwest Alphorns that I think they had 20 people on this. They didn't all compete, but they had, I think they had 20 members of their group that came, went to the festival, traveled throughout uh, Switzerland and and other places in Europe. That was great to be there with them. Yeah. Since we've been doing this for a little bit and trying not to let this podcast run on too, too long. Because we could. Yeah. Let's move on. Tell me about your experience going to some of the makers while you were there. What I know you've had a long history and relationship with 
this, especially the Swiss makers. We did that when we were in Germany earlier this year and in, in seeing uh, Hubert Hensey. And I'd, I'd love to hear what happened with some of the makers that you visited during your time in Switzerland. Yeah, no, it's it's always fantastic getting to go and, and you know, either meet makers or I didn't meet anyone new on this trip, or at least not that I spent much time with, but going and visiting uh, Gerald Poe, is always a treat. You know, it's, I, I've known him for a long time. First time I met him, I was 14. So, you know, I, I've known him more than half my life now. And he and his wife, Josiane, are, are just consummate hosts. So, you know, it's when you, when you get a chance to go spend an afternoon with them, it's like, they're always going to show you something fantastic. And, you know, we were lucky enough to go meet them and spend the afternoon with them at the house. They had a raclette lunch for us so we got to have raclette that like the cheese was from this like little maker that Gerald Poe knows so it's like the cows are you know these cows graze up at like 10,000 feet in these alpine meadows and it's like this little cottage just makes like the best cheese ever you know and then it's like you know part of that is we have you know this cured beef that Gerald Poe makes himself you know, and you're drinking some wine from a vineyard that pose friends with the owners. And, you know, it's just like, you can't replicate that at any hotel. And it's not to say that Switzerland isn't awash with fantastic hotels and restaurants, but getting to just go spend the afternoon with, with an old friend at their house and, you know, get to see his workshop a little bit. And, you know, Gerald's always, always looking for a way to improve on the outboard. Like he comes from, I believe a chemical engineering background, but engineering nonetheless, you know, so in his mind, there's always a better way to do something. Like he will forever be in pursuit of perfection. And that's largely why he was one of the driving forces behind why there are so many quality outboard builders today is he figured out how to do a lot of things and then replicate that at a high level and brought consistency. Because there's always been, you know, every maker who we're still talking about from 50s, 60s, 70s, they, they all built incredible horns, but it was builders like Gerald Poe who were able to raise the quality, you know, they raised the ceiling on what the quality could be but what really drove the quality of Alporn's becoming so much better was that builders like Gerald Poe raised the floor on what it was considered to be a quality Alporn. Absolutely. I'm so envious that you were there with him. And uh, I couldn't go with you on that uh, tour, but I'm so happy that uh, you, you went uh, saw him and got to spend some time with him and and that you're you know you're encouraging the especially the old swiss makers hey there's still a market and you you know the will place your alphorns in america um just if it's incredible that uh, you and tony continue to foster those relationships and bring instruments to the u.s I just love it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of those where it's, you know, I don't think Gerald at this point is trying to build horns at a large scale or anything. You know, he's turning 80 this year. Wow. 
you know, so in, in his own words, he wants to build horns for a couple more years. I, I don't think he'll ever really retire. That's not. <laughs> and his work is so good. I mean, it's just, you know, so we, we've played some of his recent horns that he's produced and his work is, is remarkable. And I mean, people that have a, a Jopo Alphorn, you're very lucky and, you know, hold on to that. It's, it will appreciate like some of these other old horns have. So. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's, he's still, to this day, he's still improving. Um, and it's fun to see the progression and some of the ideas that he's tried over the years that didn't really pan out versus some of the things that he's done that really did pan out. Like, as far as I'm aware, he was the first person that figured out the four piece horn and how to do that and have it be quality. So it was kind of fun to see, you know, from when I tried the first one that he had, which I'm sure the first one that we played was not the first one he made, but you know, it was the first one that he had out of the prototype stage. And then to see that so many builders since then have started doing four piece horns, five piece horns. And now there's, you know, builders that are doing, eight piece horns. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that when we got to go visit with Roland Zahner after, after the competition, got to try his prototype for an eight piece horn, which, you know, word has been out. I'm not like blowing any industry secrets there. I'm not going to talk about any of the kind of things that he's working on to do that, but he's got some clever ideas that I haven't seen other builders do of not fundamentally changing what an Alphorn is, but finding a good way to solve the problem of structural rigidity in a horn that has as many joints as an eight piece does. So it'll be interesting once he, you know, I think he's not, he's not done developing that horn yet, but he's got some, uh, he's, he's doing some fun things that I think it'll be uh, interesting once those go to market. I love it. What was looking back on Nanda? Was there was there just uh, a moment that uh, will will be memorable for you? I I've got a couple that I'll, I'd share, but uh, anything that you think looking back on this now, was there a specific uh, moment? And it may have been with uh, having dinner with Cheryl uh, Poe or whatever it is. I, I'd just be interested to know, was there, was there a special experience for you that will be memorable looking back on this year's festival? Certainly. I, I mean, it's, I think mostly, again, it's the camaraderie side of it. Like I said, getting to finally meet Annette Cox in person and, and spend some time with her and, and you know, talk about what our aspirations are with the Alporn and kind of get some future plans, not, you know, cemented or anything at this point, but started. There's something about being there with the history and the, you know, all of the, <laughs> I don't, eating raclette. I don't know. There's something about it that I felt the same way. I loved being there with these other Alporn artists and, and just connecting with the, with the, Alphorn family. It was amazing. And I would encourage anybody that next year, I, I, they've already released the dates there. It's the uh, 22nd, 23rd, 24th of July, 2023 for next year. I mean, start thinking about 
putting this together if you have an interest because there's a lot of really incredible things that you can find there. Anything else for you that's that really stood out, Robert? Yeah, I mean, it's just from a personal point as a musician. This was the first time that I took pieces that I either wrote or arranged. And the duet that Dad and I did, uh, it just, for a few reasons, like we stumbled out of the gate, we made lots of mistakes, but you know, we still, it was like, okay, we started down the trip and the wheels fell off the bus really early. But, you know, that was kind of, it was good for me in that it put me in a situation where if I had just put the horn down and walked off, everyone there would have understood and said like, that sucked, (laughs) but I understand. But for me personally, like it was good to be back in the element of a competition because I hadn't been in that headspace for a while. And it was good to like get myself into that situation where I was much more frazzled than I've been playing in a long time. Where it's like, though this is not going the way it's supposed to, like doing that. And then dad and I like fought and got it back together. And we still did a lot of really cool things musically Absolutely. in the performance of that piece. Like there was some elements, even though like we made plenty of mistakes and it just like, you know, it was like all in all, not a good performance. It wasn't a good showing, but you know, the middle section that was an excerpt from one of the pieces that I wrote uh, in my first National Parks book. I think that section, we played it better than we ever have. And that was coming right on the tail of like, oh, it had already like, the train had left the station. Like we already knew that, you know, okay, we're not going to score well, whatever, we're past it, but let's get it back, finish strong. Like, let's get through this piece, let's do it. And then you know, more importantly for me as an artist, taking the piece that was a fully original composition that I specifically wrote for the competition, taking that really was, you know, other than I got to play it in West Virginia at the the final concert for the Appalachian Alpine Adventure. Other than that, this was more or less kind of, this was the first international premiere of it. And I, I love it. And it's, you know, I feel really good that I played that as well as I could have. Like it was, you know, my qualms about what the judging criteria are, or at least how they're not made abundantly clear aside, I still am like, I went out there and played that song to like, I couldn't have been happier with how I played that. And it's, you know, it's, it's an amazing piece and an, an amazing original piece. And let me just let me say that most of the pieces performed had never been performed or, or previously original pieces. I think all of them were original pieces written by American artists, right? I mean, can you? The piece that uh, the piece that Dad took, um, I don't know exactly where that was composed, but that one's not an original. But I haven't heard anyone besides him play that. Yeah, I mean, this piece that I played that was written by Jake, which I love, uh, Peggy's piece, Doctor Grana's piece, Doctor Demir's piece, 
the roses piece, your all of your amazing work. I thought that was really special too. That these pieces were American. I mean, so you know, we're going to get to the the North American Alphorn retreat in just a minute. But uh, I mean, yeah, I I hope that the festival organizers realize the commitment to this art form that exists in the in North America the amount of really great work that went into this festival was was incredible and I'm I'm so proud of you know of our of our little group that and how they performed it was just it was amazing yeah i will say if we're going to kind of take that as a closing statement on what we have for the Nanda festival this year after we left Nanda, Dad and I, and then uh, my girlfriend Haley and the group that we were traveling with, we went to the next day we took off and we went to Grindelwald. So beautiful. What a beautiful. And I am going to say that I was immediately smitten. It's amazing. And I am now, and if anyone hears this who's interested, I'm actively seeking someone from Switzerland who will co-sign this with me. But there needs to be a festival in Grindelwald annually. I so I will, I, I'm happy to do some legwork and get on the ground and help advertise and do whatever, but. <laughs> Good. Well, uh, I, I think that's, and there, I'm sure you'll have a lot of support for that. Uh, I mean, we've got people on the ground in, in Switzerland too, that uh, in Lucerne and Interlochen and Zurich and some of these places that I think could, could help put that together. I, Robert, I think it's tremendous. I think it's a fantastic idea and I concur. It's an incredible place. So yeah, if there's anyone in Switzerland who wants to help plan a festival slash, I would. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just got a, a comment from dad who just walked through the room here, uh, but yeah, Grindelwald for sure. Also, if there's anyone who wants to write me in their will and leave me their chalet in Grindelwald, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, I think looking back for me on my experience in Nanda, as I said, I've been to Switzerland uh, so many times, mostly for my career. But really, that's how I was introduced to the Alphorn. It was amazing being back in Lucerne and Interlaken, where I first heard the Alphorn for the first time 30 years ago. 30 years ago this year, in fact, but, you know, and I've done a lot of skiing there in the Alps, uh, in Chamonix and uh, elsewhere. And it was amazing being back on Mont Blanc and the Aguille de Midi and, you know, just seeing the Eiger again. And it was phenomenal. But I think one of the most special experiences for me was I went to Zermatt and went up to the Matterhorn, which I had never seen. And all the time that I'd been in Switzerland and in the Alps, I had not been to the to the Matterhorn. And we took the gondola up and then went to the base and up up off the side of um, the Matterhorn. And I and I played and I had my Alphorn with me. I put my Alphorn to a small group of uh, little listeners uh, that was just my family and my little um, my little grandson Jack was there and he played it as well. I mean, there I don't know. There was something about playing the Alphorn, the Matterhorn, and and you know the bell art on my 
Alphorn, the Matterhorn, being there and, and having that experience. And it was just, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget being on the Matterhorn, playing this to this little group. And it was, uh, it was just it was such a special experience. And uh, that's something I'll always remember. Yeah, it's such a fun city. Like that's kind of, Zermatt always is going to have... Um, just a, a place kind of in my heart and memory just because the, the first time we went over uh when i was interviewed after playing in the competition for the first time it, it was just something like i hadn't really thought about it like it's just like okay you know it's like for various things growing up it's like oh something was happening at the school they'd interview a kid for the news like i'd done that and i'd been like you know been on the news and done some of those interviews and stuff for some of the band things that we were doing and it just wasn't anything that I really thought about. But then when we went to Zermatt and, you know, dad and I went over to talk to Kurt Ott and his wife uh, of the Alpan duo um, who were playing on the steps of the church there. It was just when we went over, then they had recognized me from the story they'd seen on the news, like the day or, a day or two before. So it was just one of those like, oh, it was like kind of those like, oh, this is like, thing and it was like okay so i like was on tv in another country which is like you know it you know it's not really consequential in any way or form but it was fun and it was just one of those like memories of like oh this guy who's a pretty famous album player has done a lot recognized me because of this like over there like it was just fun there and it's just a fun little town like it's a cool little place where if you sit down and have fondue there at the foot of the matterhorn you know, it, it's a fun experience because you go, it, you're going to hear like five or six languages at all the tables around you. And it's just one of those like truly international destinations where like you're going to see people from all over the world and everyone's coming together in this place to enjoy the same vistas. And absolutely, it's a cool, it's a cool place. Well, there's so much that has happened in between these episodes and uh, maybe we could recap some of the other events over the last uh, several months but I mean just both you and I have done a lot some together some uh, separately but uh, I mean some of the things that uh, I'd love to talk about on future episodes and maybe during the North American Alphorn retreat, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, I mean, Kendall Betts, uh, Dr. Grana asked me and some of the other Alphorn artists to go to Kendall Betts this year. Kendall Betts is a uh, week long. It's, it's, I mean, I think we were there 10 days even in New Hampshire started by Kendall Betts, a very famous French horn player that started this retreat in upstate New Hampshire. And he invited some of the very best French horn players in the world to come and talk about technique and fundamentals. It's really about fundamentals. That's what this camp was about. But we were successful mostly through Dr. Grana's efforts and, you know, some of my interest in getting an Alphorn module or Alphorn track for Kendall Betts this year. And thank you to uh, Bernard Scully and the rest of the Kendall Betts group that uh, put this together 
for doing this. They even wrote a lot of etudes and uh, practice pieces for Al the Alphorn. I think we had four Alphorn players there in this track. And to be there with those amazing brass artists, mostly uh, French horn players, and listen to fundamental techniques on mobility, buzzing. I mean, it was just, for me, it was so, so incredible to do that. And uh, Bay Blattner was there. Uh, Dr. Lori Whistler was there. And some of these, some of the people really great, like these are some of the best French horn and natural horn artists in the world are coming to the North American Alphorn Retreat because of that and uh, excited. Uh, so I did that with Dr. Whistler, Dr. Grana, Blattner, and, Mar and Mary, who will be at the North American Alphorn Retreat uh, this week, was there as well. So I just I think it's fun that this this it's working that I think evangelizing some of the the amazing history and uh, what what an incredible instrument this is it is working we're seeing this start to happen yeah uh, yeah uh, so for the listeners we kind of buried the lead on this one but Sean and I are actually headed up the North American Alpine Retreat starts the day tomorrow, um, tomorrow. As of the filming of this I it's here. Um, so what we'll, we'll try to do what we did last year where it's, um, yeah, for sure. uh, for each of the days, if we can, we'll, we'll pull a couple of the participants and see if we can do a podcast recording every day. So we'll get a chance to talk to some of the people that are, um, that have been at the other events that Sean and I have been to. And I think so far this year, really specifically to go to Alporn stuff this year, I've already been to 20 some states and six countries and like I've been moving. <laughs> no kidding. Well, and I mean, let's, it's unfortunate and exciting both that uh, the amount of interest, the amount of visibility that has happened this year, probably more so than ever, but Leavenworth and we, we can, we can recap some of these this week when we're together, but what a great event in Leavenworth. I think it was one of the most just, it was fun. And we, we just, we had such a great time. Dr. Grana uh, was one of the instructors that you had. Bill Rose, we were there with Peggy, D Dr. Demers and you, and just fantastic. What a great event. So we can talk about that. We, I think we've pretty much beaten on dot to death, but you were at the Appalachian Alphorn Adventure, uh, that which is uh, uh, Monica and Laura's event. Talk about that for just a second. We can dive into that this week. More. I'm gonna say, yeah, we'll uh, catch up more on that one in um, another episode, just because I do have to kind of start getting the truck loaded up here today. <laughs> I know um, you've got a lot going on. But yeah, that's a it was a nice chance to get out and spend some time in the part of the country that I don't get to go to very often just because so much of my performing takes place west of the Mississippi. So it, it was nice to get over there and you know, being in the Appalachians in July. I haven't seen that much green since I was in Hawaii. Like I, I was like flabbergasted. And this is in the the newest national park it's in the new river gorge and uh put on by monica and laura and monica and laura i'm sorry i wasn't there i i had a 
conflict. I'm, I just feel horrible. I wasn't there. I heard it was incredible and look forward, uh, Robert, to diving into that with you more. Is, is, will Monica be at Snowbird this year? Uh, no, not this year. It's kind of scheduling just is kind of hard travel wise for a lot of people. Um, but uh, well, we'll yeah, catch up with Monica, definitely... Monica and Laura as well. At some point, I'd love to hear their thoughts with that in the rear view mirror. Yeah, and it's I think I'm definitely I'm going to try to uh, be a more active participant in that event as well. Going forward, it was nice to kind of go and this year it was kind of fun to be at one of these events where I wasn't necessarily in charge of planning it. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to just show up and have somebody else do it, Robert. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and it was it was a nice little road trip. Got to go to. And you drove a couple new states, yeah. So I drove. I took. I took kind of all, all of our music and mouthpieces and a couple horns out there, and used it as a chance to uh, take a road trip and went up. And did you drive from from Salt Lake to West Virginia? Yeah, and back. Oh my gosh, and back. I I can't believe you did that. But it you was put you some know, miles on the car this year. Oh, I it's I let's see. I'm already. I think I'm one flight away from hitting hitting a platinum medallion on Delta this year, and That's it's I don't even I don't even <laughs> I don't even have the credit card to get all the free bonus stuff on that. I've I've gotten platinum the hard way. I got seat time with that, and then see. So I've already flown I think about seventy thousand miles this year. Plus I've driven already to and from Texas twice and then from Salt Lake out to Chicago and back and then Salt Lake up to Washington and back and then Salt Lake to West Virginia and back. So I think this year I'm going to be knocking on 100, 125,000 miles traveled. You need, to, you need to sell the van. Well, with the few minutes that we have left, let's, let's talk about uh, the North American Alphorn Retreat. I, I can't believe it's here already. It seems like we just did this and I'm, I'm really excited for it. I, I cannot wait for this week. I mean, talk about uh, what you have planned and, you know, some of the things that you and the team have been putting together for this. Yeah. So it's, you know, I haven't, uh, you know, changed too fundamentally the, the layout of the event. Um, you know, it's one of those, I don't think the formula, I don't think this particular will needs to be in reinvented too, too much, but we'll be uh, kind of hosting everything in the Snowbird Center, which is really nice. Uh, the resort's going to be kind of a buzz. Uh, this year, we have it worked out so that the final concert is lining up with the first day of Snowbird's Oktoberfest. How cool is that? Um, so as far as the, uh, the final concert on Saturday goes, this will be the largest crowd that we've ever had. And it's, you know, it's all the resorts here. They're all magical and they have their own thing. And Solitude is great when we can do it there. And Snowbird's always great when we can do it there. Uh, I, I'm going to see if I can get the whole group uh, up the tram this week. Uh, Snowbird's kind of in the middle of redoing their trams after 40 some years, almost 50 years. So they, I know that they got the blue tram replaced. Uh, the red tram has not been replaced yet. So I'll see if we can get the full group up, but 
If not, everyone's going to get a chance to uh, see a Snowbirds Oktoberfest, which is, oh, great. you know, I think on the first weekend, not everyone's going to necessarily be listening to our performance that day, but Snowbirds Oktoberfest, I think probably is going to have five to 6,000 people up there for the first day. So, and, I mean, it's, what a great experience, not just for the participants of the retreat to, to play on stage, but what a great event uh, for, for Snowbird and Oktoberfest to have this huge group and such amazing artists there forming. So yeah, and it looks like uh, about that. it looks like with the participants and the staff, we're gonna have. 24 25 players all together so one of the bigger groups we've had not the largest group we've had but one of the bigger groups you know and it's always nice to get out and spend some time up in the mountains and mountains sorry i'm in utah my my utah pronunciation slipped through there for a second um but yeah just go get up into the wasatch and that's one of the things about traveling to Europe and specifically Switzerland and Germany and, and being in the Alps. It's so nice to see so many of these storied mountains and mountains. Sorry. There it was again. But to go get to see the Eiger for the first time up close, you know, it's it was one of those I specifically went to Grindelwald just because I've been to Switzerland now six or seven times. And from various peaks like around, I have seen the Eiger, the monk and the Jungfrau from afar but I'd never seen them up close. So it was when I was planning the route on this trip, I was like, I am going and I'm going to spend some time and I'm going to go see these particular peaks up close. Like that was just a personal, I need to go here to see this peak. And that was just awesome. And I found like one of the best Alpine restaurants ever there in Grindelwald. So I love it. Well, I I am so excited about being together. I mean, we talk about having a reunion. Oh my goodness, this is you know these the, these really these individuals this week. The, they're our, our family, and uh, really excited to see everybody. And then anybody that's listening or has an interest in the Alphorn, please come up. Do you, do you know what time the performance will be on? uh yeah so if we get this episode out in time anyone here who's local in kind of the salt lake or the wasatch area um, around utah the final performance will be on the chickadee stage at the first day of snowbirds oktoberfest which is saturday august 13th yep. uh 2022 so if you hear this next year won't be the same day but yeah, it's so Saturday, August 13th, and we will be playing from 1 p.m. until about 2 p.m. Love it. I, They're on the chickadee stage. Perfect. I can't wait. I mean, there's so many um, just amazing professional artists that will be at this event. And uh, please come and if you have an interest in the Alphorn, this, this will be a great opportunity for you to hear a, a large ensemble of amazing artists on stage in a great venue. I mean, there's nothing better than Oktoberfest at Snowbird uh, in the Wasatch. So please come and support it. And then I know that uh, Salzburger Echo has 
I think every weekend at Oktoberfest now, is that? Yeah, so we won't have the full band every weekend of Oktoberfest. Uh, we'll be there the 24th and 25th of September with the full band. And then on October 8th, October 9th, and then the 15th and 16th of October with the full band. But every day of Oktoberfest, there are going to be Alphorns, generally my father and I, that will go and play on top of Hidden Peak between 3 and 5 p.m. Um, every day of Snowbirds Oktoberfest, weather permitting. Love that. What a, yeah. That's a great opportunity as well. So, Robert, uh, welcome Welcome back to the Wasatch. Are you, is it your intent to be in Utah for the next several weeks for the various Oktoberfest? More or less uh, for the, I, I'll be there for this weekend. Um, I'll miss the second weekend because I need to run back down to Texas and kind of get transitioned from Alphorn workshop season into Oktoberfest season. But so I got to, get all my get be a quick quick transition <laughs> yeah no it's gonna be like drive down spend a couple of days in austin drive back since i am going to be spending most of september october up here other than we've got a few dates with the band out on the road um outside of that i'll be up here so i'm gonna uh drive down then we'll bring the motorcycle back up because it's not doing any good sitting in the garage in texas may as well <laughs> get it back up into the canyons here <laughs> I, um, I, yeah. oh, uh, well good well, that's great I'm glad that you'll be here and I mean I know we've we've spent a lot of time together over the last six months in these various amazing places but uh, it'll be great to get to just spend some time with you in the Wasatch and uh, look forward to it yeah uh, we'll have to find some time when we're not pressed in our respective schedules but uh yeah, spitball no, some spitball some ideas back and forth for some business options too. And we've so. got to get caught up on some of the, like I said, I mean Kendall Betts and Leavenworth and you know and may, and I for you know I forgot Bill Rose will be in Snowbird this week. Well, we yeah, so we'll get to spend some take on this. Brian, I mean, I'm just excited to see everybody. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then the, you know the Appalachian event, which I know that. Was Bill at the Appalachian event too? Uh, no, uh, he, he did. Yeah, I didn't make it out to that one. But there was, uh, it was, it was nice to get over onto that side of the the continent and see some people that have come out to Utah before that are more out there. It's nice to have one out that way and give me some ideas about how to expand and have more events out on that side of the country as well. Definitely. Well, let's have uh, let's let's for sure, if not this week during the the retreat at snowbird let's let's talk with monica and laura and get their assessment and just recap that i'd love to hear about what what their plans are and their assessment for from what happened at the appalachian alphorn adventure i can't i can't wait to hear about it yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note, I gotta run so I can get yeah, let's let's get everything uh, started. I'll see it. So I'll see you tomorrow, and it's gonna be great. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Perfect. Hi, right, Robert. Uh, uh, let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. This has been fantastic. Great recap of everything, and we'll yeah put everything um, linked in the episode notes. Perfect for everyone out who's out there listening. Thank you for 
listening to the Alphorn podcast and uh, hopefully uh, your schedule is going to be a little bit easier to uh, get these to be a little more regular now. I like how we say that every time and then I get busy and can't do it for a couple months, but we're going to try. Great to connect with you. See you this weekend. I I can't wait. Uh, It's going to be great. All right. Awesome. I will see you then, Sean, and uh, catch everyone on the next podcast. Thanks.